Welcome to the second Parsha panel of the podcast. Really excited with, for the return of Parsha panel with my brothers, Rev. Daniel and Rev. Menachem and Um Daniel and Rev. Mendy. So before we get to the Parsha panel and what we're going to be discussing, I wanted to first thank our sponsors, generous sponsorship from Dear Chaverim, Yona and Chani Laster. And um, as, as I mentioned um, in a different podcast, we um, had a conversation. They hosted me on their podcast, Nobody Talks Shadokham, where we had a conversation about the role of gender roles. It was a lot of fun. And um, definitely thanking them for their their sponsorship for multiple podcasts and multiple episodes of Shirim. And if you want to sponsor too, it could be something as simple as $18 from Meister. All you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data, then base, B-E-I-S, as in base medrash, at gmail.com. And now, without further ado, we will move right over into the Parsha panel once again with my brothers, Rav Daniel, my brother, my Bechor brother. Especially after these parshas, don't let you forget that. Exactly, and of course. Yeshua uh, got, got the right-handed brach. Our fathers to switch hands. Yeah, I, 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 there are a few times where I almost got the bechor bracha. I tried, um, and uh, and also we have Remendi. Thanks for joining us, Remendi. No scientist to the bechor. Yeah, I love that. I, I really. Okay, so now we are opening up a new safer. So last time, it was actually one of our most popular podcasts, one of the most popular episodes on the podcast, um, the Parsha panel that we discussed last time about the Torah observance of the Abbas. So you can go back and listen to that. I'm not saying that you guys can go back and listen to that. If you want, you guys can go back and listen to it, but you were on it, so you don't need to. Uh, but um, it was uh, it was a great conversation last time I listened to it again. Everybody else absolutely needs to know. Yes. Yeah, everyone else has to go back and listen to it. Today, with Safer Shamos, we're going to talk about, a, a, in a certain sense, it's a broad Shamos topic, but it's also very local to this week's Parsha. And that's the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu. So we know that um, low come Kemosha. Let me let me just uh, x out of that. Um, but we but, but we we know that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. There was no one like Moshe Rabbeinu in our history before or after. There was no Navi like him. So we 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 would assume he didn't start off that way. And the question that I wanted us to tackle tonight is why Moshe Rabbeinu. No, not like why, why Moshe, why did you do that? Um, that that's a Parsha Skuka's question. Um, but uh, but I, I want to know why why Hashem selected Moshe Rabbeinu. Is there something to be said about how Hashem came to, to the decision of Moshe Rabbeinu? Is there something even prior to Moshe Rabbeinu's existence, perhaps, that speaks to why Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen to be the savior, the messenger of God for what's going to be the story of the Exodus? Right, so, so clearly... Clearly, there, there must be. I mean, nobody else was put in the situation. You know, there are many people I mean, who, who speak about, um, you know, contemporary people uh, speak about uh, Avram's Lech Lecha, and that many people had, you know, Lech Lecha, there were, many people had the calling, uh, and Avram was the only one who answered. I mean, Avram on his phone uh, found found God as, as I'll explain, whether it's, he was three or 48 or, or, or somewhere in between, uh, he found Hashem. 
on, on his own. You could talk about his genetics. Yes, he came from shame, but a lot of people came from shame. A lot of people came from Aver. Um, so, so Avram, you know, he, he he's more of a, a of a self-made man. Now, not to Pasashon detract from Moshe's, uh, you know, personal mitos and growth. Of course, there's no one like Moshe, but clearly he had a setup like nobody else. Mm-hmm. Clearly, um, you know, he he was separated from his family, uh, his his biological family at birth, and raised right under Paro's nose. Um, and uh, waiting for him to make a, have a line there. Um, but he, 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 he was raised in the palace. Erev, Daniel, I lost you for a second. I think it's on my end, but no problem. Go ahead. Have you found me? Yeah, found you. Baruch Hashem. Yeah, so he, he was, you know, Moshe clearly had a different situation, a different setup, <clears throat> being raised in the palace, not um, being in the in the servitude, and, and even if the Levium in general were not, uh, they were still, you know, among them, and, and Moshe was, was raised differently, was in Midian, he, had, he, 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 was, he was a fugitive, uh, and then and made his return. So it's hard to say that, like, just anybody could have been Moshe. I mean, I guess Hashem could have made anybody he wanted to, to be the Moshe on Shel Yisrael, but it, lo- it looks like Moshe was set up for it. So it's interesting because the implications of that are, are interesting because we would think, you know, we think of, you know, ever, anyone could be like Moshe Rabbeinu and it almost seems like, you know, like, in, in a sense we say no one could be like Moshe and in a sense we say anybody could be like Moshe. Um, but, but with Hashem situating Moshe, positioning Moshe, it, it, it almost makes you wonder about if there was ever an alternative to Moshe. Um, but uh, Menachem Mendel, do you want to say something on the matter? Yes, uh, I think it's interesting. Um, you can always look at the side that, oh, he's, uh, he's, a benef- he's a beneficiary of being privileged, but it's not a matter of just having the privilege that to do something with it. And I think that Moshe demonstrates someone who you know, he didn't have to be anything different. He could have just relaxed and lived his life. But the whole thing about him growing up, it says, it says, it mentions twice by Yigdal that he grew up. And right after the second time, it says, he, and he grew up and he saw the, the you know, the, the work that his brother was doing. I think that, that also is really modifying and saying that this is how he grew up. He, he didn't just, he didn't just grow up. He grew up because he saw the work of his brothers. That was defining how he grew up. Right, so talking about the empathy of Moshe Rabbeinu. And I think this is something that back in our NCSY days, this is something that we spent a lot of time talking about in terms of sympathy versus empathy, um, you know, commiserating versus, um, again, empathy, where I, I'm, I'm not in it, but I'm investing myself in it. And I am feeling something that I otherwise would not be feeling. And there's a, there's a lot to be said about how Moshe Rabbeinu was on the outside looking in um, in a sense, having this dual identity of being uh, seemingly partially Egyptian just because he was raised in royalty, he was raised not in slavery, and on the other hand, um, by blood, he was he was an Ivory, he was a Hebrew. Um, interesting, uh, you'll, you'll notice Targum Unclus on, on Ivory, he says Yehudai. I mean, using the word Jew that we would use today, which obviously is an anachronistic term at that time, but that's the term that he uses. 
But it's interesting that you see that motion. Well, it's, it's actually not so crazy because uh, they have the Gemara in, in maybe Sota, maybe Megillah as well, um, speaks about, about Bas Paro's conversion. And Divrei mm-hmm. Yom calls her uh, a Yehudia, right? Or, 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 or something like that. I have to look uh, back and see it's, what it it's says. It's a Gemara mm-hmm. Megillah. I think it's maybe in Gimel Yedalit, and I think it's also in Sota. And it says that because she rejected... Uh, idolatry, the idolatry of her father, so she's called a Jew. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting, why, interesting that's why she's point. called so the Jewish person, which is funny because that that is an anachronistic term. So, so, so that's that's fascinating in its own right. Um, and you know, there's also the that that Ibn Ezra, who says that you know Moshe, it had to be someone like Moshe Rabbeinu who did you know who was not fully. Um, engrossed in the slavery because then he would have a slave mentality. We know that the, the famous Ibn Ezra about slave mentality, about why the Bnei Israel were having such trouble escaping when the Mitzrayim were chasing them because they were stuck in the slave mentality. You needed someone who was from the outside world who can be the one. Now, all of this would explain why circumstantially, you know, it should have or had to be a Moshe Rabbeinu. And we take for granted that it was Moshe Rabbeinu. But if you're just opening up Sefer Shemos with new eyes for the first time, like we should all be doing, you know, you know, we, again, we take for granted that Moshe Rabbeinu was the chosen one. And we see that Moshe Rabbeinu was, from, from the beginning, he was not willing, he was very, you know, very hesitant to engage in this process to be the one. So I, I mean, yeah, I, I, that's what I was saying that you know he he looks like he was set up now. Not to say that he necessarily didn't have the chira in this regard. I mean, it could be that you know Moshe was the one put in the palace to uh, do this role, and had Moshe just you know let his uh, his you know selfishness take over, and he wouldn't have you know stricken down the you know the Mitzri and broken up Dasan and Aviram and. He just wouldn't have done these things. Then Hashem would have found another way, right? As Mordechai says, the Yeshua can come from anywhere Hashem wants it to come. Or as Chazal uh, say in our parsha, Shluchim Harbe Lamakum. Right, exactly. Right. So, so it could have, it could have been, it could have been anything. Um, and Moshe chose, you know, to, to step up and do what he did. I think that Ibn Ezra is, is very significant. I mean, it, this, the question that Ibn Ezra is addressing essentially, he first of all, he, he acknowledges, I think. That Ibn Ezra is is loaded. There's so much in that comment of the Ibn Ezra. First of all, he says, like, we can speculate. You know, a lot of people ask, why, why isn't the Hashem raised motion in the vows? And he says, he says, you know, Rabbos Mukshavos, uh, you know, believe sure. um, Hashem. Hashem right. has, has right, he doesn't, I don't think he uses the Lomach Shavos say, like, Hashem has his, has his, his I think he says that regarding Leah, why Leah's eyes were Rabbos. He, he does say that. He does say that. Um, we we don't know why Leah's eyes were wet. I mean, he, he's like you know going back to the Mimer Chazal about who Leah was supposed to marry. But right, yeah, he, yeah, he says we don't know. So characteristic of Ibn Ezra to uh, kind of attack a Mimer Chazal. Several times where he says you know stop stop claiming to know why God does what He does, but we can speculate and we can suggest Shatim. So he addresses why is it that that specifically the Savior Israel was raised in the Paris in the palace of Paro. Now first of all one shot you could say based on the Midrashan is just for the, the the just beautiful, glorious um you know storyline of the of the irony, the delicious irony mm-hmm. of of Paro saying, I'm killing all the baby boys so that 
in order to get in, in, so that there won't be a savior in Kal Yisrael, the one boy that he actually lets survive and races in his house and sits on his lap. The midrash, the midrash uh, elaborates on this. The midrash, the midrash, like it makes it very funny, very humorous. It says that like, he's raising him on his lap, he's taking, him, he's feeding him with his own food, and he that is the savior of Israel. So this, that that piece alone is enough to be a beautiful pshat. Uh, you know, we're already on the road to Purim, right? Because it's it's only uh, we're we're less than thirty days before Tu B'Shvat, which is of course less than thirty days before Purim. So already we can talk for the half So that alone is is enough to answer it. But that's not what Ibn Ezra says. Ibn Ezra has two pshatim. One of them is is like you know the, the classic. Uh, you can't be a, a rav of the community you grew up in. Uh, pshat, because he says people would say, "Oh, Moshe, I remember when you were running around, uh, you know, behind the curtain in shul and in the in, and in the playroom, making noise in the hallways, and, and people wouldn't take him seriously. They wouldn't give him the proper you know, Even so, they weren't taking him seriously. We know from Pshat, you know, and Dustin and Aviram, they're, they're like, "Who do you think you are? Who made you boss?" Right? Um, I, I I heard I heard I think it was uh, I heard Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs said. That uh, he, he was he was addressing uh, he was addressing a, a, a crew of uh, of, of Smicha students. I think he he said that the first thing um, the, the, he he quoted this pasuk and he says the first thing if you want to know about uh, about what it means to be a rav, so you have to look at our, the first rav in history, Moshe Rabbeinu. What's the first thing they say to him? Who pointed you as a rav over us? And that's that's what you need to know if you go into Rabbanus. Um, but uh, the so so then there's that, and then what you said, Rabbi Yeshua, about. The, the slave mentality. He needed to grow up with this etiquette uh, and, 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 and feeling royal and not being an evid in order to really stand up and be a leader. And then there's what you also addressed that, that I, I've, I've written a lot about in the past, I've spoken a lot about in the past, which is that, that Hashem Dafka wanted to reveal the Mida of, of empathy, of, of being, you know, being no say to, to no say ol havero, to take upon yourselves the burdens of your of, of your friends and your brothers and and in order to be able to do that, in yeah. order to be able to do that, you need to be able to be separate and out of the situation. So Hashem, so I, I suggest that Hashem Dafka made Moshe not a slave because if he, it was just somebody who was a slave, then he would just be wanting to get himself out. Rather, it was somebody who was first of all a levy, who's not really in the Shibud, but then someone even more removed. Now he's growing up in the palace and he says, anyway, I want to be involved. And, and the Midrashim and Shmos Rabbah say that he put his shoulder under the burden of his, of, of his friends and he, of, of the fellow Jews, his brothers, and he'd say, I wish I could die for you. I wish I could take the beatings for you. And, and you know, this empathy is such a critical midah of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why Hashem reveals himself in a state of empathy. When Hashem says, uh, he appears in the snap, and Rashi says over there that he's saying, that I'm with you in the pain. Hashem is also, who else is aloof, is, is removed from a, a, a painful situation, suffering. Hashem is completely removed. But Hashem says, anyway, despite the fact that I'm removed, I don't feel pain. I can't possibly feel pain. I'm, I'm the all-powerful God, but I make it, I'm, I'm in a thorn bush. I'm in pain. There's there's fire. I'm suffering. Hashem does that. That's a meat. That's the ultimate meat of Hashem. <laughs> Moshe was set up to be able to feel that meat as well. And I have many rios to support this. Uh, I don't want to speak all night about this, but but I, I think that that setup, that situation, was critical for Moshe to be able to uh, to to be the empathetic leader he really needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that we see that also is like built into his very conception 
um, because Amram had separated from Yocheved uh, because uh, they, there was that concern. And it was obviously the Tzirah Nefesh for them to actually go back together. And he had to be told by Miriam why it was a bad idea. And he decided everyone was going to look and follow him. So he had to make a decision. He had to go back to Yocheved. And, you know, just you see, from the, just even before he was even born, he was, there was just a whole, it was a lot of crazy stuff going on. And, you know, it was just a huge major decision of his parents just to go together. And we see that, you know, it's, it was looking into the things that he, obviously he's not in control of. But, you know, it definitely, I definitely see the aspect that he had to be someone who can, you know, he can't be, he can't be helping from the inside because then he's just, you know, helping himself. By helping from the outside, as you said, that's him, you know, really being the Elohim, that's really what he was supposed to do. So what we find is that this is very, we find this fascinating balance, and I, th- I think both of you are touching on this, because um, our, our starting point was, see, yeah, clearly Hashem set him up for this. But with all of that, first of all, what I mentioned that we can't even take for granted that Moshe Rabbeinu was the one, because he didn't even want to be the one, and he tried as hard as he could to not be the one. But what we see is, on the one hand, all the miracles that had to take place to set Moshe Rabbeinu up to be in that situation so that he could be the Moshe Shal Yisrael, right? And, um, you know, and the, uh, going back to the, the miracles, um, with the, the astrology, the astrologers saw, okay, the baby has officially been thrown into the water, we're, we're good, you know, and of course we know that he was put in the basket. So all the miracles that had to take place for Moshe Rabbeinu to become the one, and yet, like, like again, we're saying here, that with all of that, even so, Moshe Rabbeinu had to fit himself into the position. It wasn't just that he was positioned for it. Hashem can always position you for it. But it's a matter also of you working on your character, creating your character into the, the idea that Moshe crafted himself. Moshe Rabbeinu manifested and displayed certain midos that demonstrate you are fit to be the Moshiach Shal Yisrael, things that you needed Moshe Rabbeinu's Bechira for. It was not, it couldn't just be that Hashem positioned Moshe in the perfect place, time, you know, he's in the, the right time, right place, everything would have been okay, you know, and, and with, if, if Moshe Rabbeinu just went on his own way. We see that Moshe Rabbeinu, he could, you know, going with the flow, it could be that Moshe Rabbeinu would not have been the Moshiach Shal Yisrael, just going with the flow. Being positioned, yes, he was positioned, but, it, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu could have just, you know, stayed in his cozy palace. He could have been safe. And maybe we all would have said, you know, after, after um, you know, one guy says, who, you know, who pointed you over us? So that, that, that would have been the end for a lot of us. We would have said, okay, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. Um, and, you know, we, Moshe Rabbeinu essentially for, for a long time tried to do that. But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't even have to leave the palace, right? He didn't have to leave the palace to see how his brethren were doing. He could have stayed there. He would have been fine, right? Just like Esther Amalka, she was married to the king. She would have been fine. She was always going to be safe, even if the rest of the Jews were going to be destroyed. And that could have been Moshe Rabbeinu too. Um, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu, he, he not only went out to see his brethren, but then when they, when they shooed him away and he went to Midian, eventually at some point Moshe Rabbeinu came back. So... You know, like I, th- I think that's demonstrative of something very important about the this this um, this convergence 
of Hashkachas Hashem on the one hand, and um, our Bechira, our Hishtadlis on the other, even within the most important appointment, the most important tafkid of all human tafkidim, Moshe Rabbeinu becoming the, 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 the Rebbe and the Moshean of all of Klai Israel, being the Shliach for Hashem, and this required both of those, and, and any less in the Hashkachas Hashem, any less in the Bechir of Moshe Rabbeinu, and it might have never come to be the way we know it today. I think that also one of the things that, you know, we often, we talk about Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, he could have just, you know, sat back and he relaxed because he was the, you know, he was you know, the prince of Egypt and he could have been just fine like that. But in every situation, every story we have from him, he's really doing the job of thinking of others. Like even when he runs away, now he's a fugitive from Egypt and he runs to Midian. And he sees that there are girls that are being mistreated by these, by these other shepherds, and he comes over and says, hey, this is not happening. And he didn't have to. He was already a huge himself. He's running away. He says, no, he has to. He feels that he has to help those who are in need. And then the career that he chooses, classic, he becomes a shepherd. Why? Because he's taking care of the animals. And when he's going to look for... He didn't become a doctor? Yeah, well, um, I, I, I don't know how available it was as a fugitive. They do background checks. <laughs> yeah, but just the whole idea is that... Medical school? No, but I just got out of jail and I saw a lot of people with injuries there. Does that count for anything? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but he actually goes, he, he goes and, you know, then he... Once he has, he has to, it's not just that he has, you know, everything made for him and he, and he you know, looks towards those he helps, but the fact that he's in search of things, he's in search of answers, he's looking and, I mean, I guess if I saw very much, I'd probably be confused <laughs> also. But the fact that he would, he actually turned towards it because he's looking for something and, you know, I think it's, it's very, that's already different than a lot of people you might hear about who grow up in a different society that, that are very, you know, they have everything given to them on a solar platter, and he's actually looking for more. He sees something that doesn't sit right with him, and he says... Well, That's he a very good point. I, I, th- I think, Rav Daniel, I think you once actually gave a model lesson just, you know, from the standpoint of Parshanut on, on the Chumash, you see, like, one of the leading words regard- that revolves around Moshe Rabbeinu is the lesson of Re'iyah. Of of seeing, you know, we we you know um, we find that every, everything about Moshe Rabbeinu is is looking and seeing um, the world around him. So he sees what his brothers are going through. He sees the burning bush and has to respond to it. Um, you don't like you know we talk, going back to hearing the calling of Lechacha. So we have Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, he's seeing the things around him where you don't necessarily have to observe, and we're not talking about just something that you know that crosses through your retina and your um, that, that, that your eyes see something. But we're talking about that someone who makes an effort to observe, and you know that that is um, you know an important leadership quality that we find in Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, sure, and uh, the, the Kliyakar says at the beginning of uh, I guess probably Parakimol Pasuk Aleph. Um, where it said, like it's, it talks about his profession as a rowa, why it had to mention he was a shepherd, and it says, you know, in general, uh, this is, this is a, a common way for uh, for how to receive nevuah, nevim 
often started their careers as shepherds because uh, uh, being a shepherd affords them the opportunity to um, to, uh, to do his photos, to be outside, to see the maestabore, to see to be to like be able to see nature, internalize nature, see Hashem through nature, contemplate, not be disturbed by others. And most careers don't really afford such an opportunity. So for any of uh, any of uh, the database listeners who are looking to achieve nevua, you might want to quit your day job and become a shepherd instead. So mm. the, uh, this is a advice from the Kliakar possibly. Wow. Okay. If so, if 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 you just you know tuned in for that, you might not be able to sponsor the database anymore. So we sure won't be thrilled with that. But but uh, if you know, Nubu is a, Nubu is a big deal. <laughs> so yes. So definitely. Uh, um, and just go just go walking it back to uh, um, to Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of his 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 personal chosenness. So one of the things that that we you know we referenced earlier is the idea of shluchim harbei lamakom that God has many messengers. It could have happened in any which way, and we you know we we see this in when Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to get out of it. So Hashem says you know there's always our own. There's always you know there's always someone else, and um, I, I I think that one of the most um, interesting and fascinating and confusing stories in our Parsha, which is something that perhaps um, I'll devote another podcast to, is the, the strange episode in which Moshe Rabbeinu is in the inn, and then all of a sudden Hashem is about to kill him. The Midrash tells the story of a malach that, that swallows Moshe almost entirely whole, um, really halfway, he swallows him halfway twice up to his Malko Mamila, and one of the most enigmatic scenes in the time. Yeah, it's, it's it's definitely one of the most confusing. But what you see from that story, you know, at least the, one of the questions you have to ask is, Hashem just finished telling Moshe, you're the one. And we're we're seeing what looks like an almost an indispensable, uh, 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 sorry, a dispensability of Moshe Rabbeinu at that moment. Right? Moshe didn't die there, but he could have. Right? Like I, th- I think that's the takeaway. It, it could have not been Moshe. Tur- it turns out. He was Moshe. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu was number one, um, but you know, uh, but the, maybe there was someone that was number one. Yes, um, and it, it, you know, it could have technically ended up being anybody. And I think this also demonstrates how it's not a matter of just sitting back and letting things happen, letting yourself be the one. I, I, th- I think if, if if there's that take, if there's you know a takeaway about this conversation of Moshe Rabbeinu and his particular chosenness so it, it was you know when we talk about chosenness that oh Hashem chose him but it's 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 more than that it's there's chosenness and then there's choosing right so the you know on the one hand Hashem positioning Moshe for that greatness and then there's Moshe choosing to grab for that greatness and in fact to the extent which Moshe didn't choose Moshe did not achieve so to be a Kohen Gadol that Moshe Rabbeinu did not do so we so so again, that we're you know we're, we're Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu was not able to be the Kohen Gadol. Hashem said, "Oh, you know, remember your your brother Aaron the Levi." So and and the Chazal tell us at that point, the Midrash says that yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu, you're 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 really pushing. You really don't want to go, but so and I'll tell you that that's going to come out of your your Kohen Gadol paycheck. You're gonna you're just gonna work as Kohen Gadol for one day, um, and 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 the rest of history, Moshe Rabbeinu would not be a Kohen Gadol, and would not be a Kohen at all. Sorry. Oh right, right. The the, the the amounts of time that Moshe Rabbeinu was uh, was was Kohen Gadol, at least for the um, I guess the inauguration of the Mishkan, but but the point is that we see that it was only um, you know 
it, the, there was not at any point that Moshe Rabbeinu's choices did not affect the results of who he would eventually and ultimately be, the person that we, that we know as today. So Moshe Rabbeinu, on the one hand, was not Kohen Gadol, but he was still Moshe Rabbeinu. He was still the Moshe and Shal Yisrael. He was the greatest Navi, and there was no one like him. And again, any, anything less in, the, ter- in, in the, the area of Bechira would have not led Moshe to that point with all of the chosenness that Hashem had granted him on his own. So, any, any more thoughts before we close out? Um, no, I think that we've basically covered... Um, I, I, think, I think there's there's always more to be said, but... Um, I, yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's, a lot, there's, there's a lot more uh, potentially to discuss of, of uh, all his time of personal growth. In, and first, first, first uh, looking through the, the Midrashim and Rishonim to figure out how, what the exact timeline is of Moshe and his journeys in Midian. And did he have journeys in Cush in between and his personal growth there and him finding Hashem. There's, there's, there's yeah. tons to talk about. And it's it's and interesting. I, 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 I want to actually... Maybe heard... we can open up another half-hour conversation right now if you want. <laughs> Yeah, the, the truth is, I actually remember there was once a shear. Um, I think it was the 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 president of Young Israel. Um, his name escapes me at the moment. But anyway, the, the shear he was giving was it was a drasha on whether or not Moshe Rabbeinu resembles Batman or Superman. And you know, and he opened it to the audience, uh, to to the kahila to talk about it. And so some were saying, well, you know, the midrash portrays that when he was born, you know, Chazal tell us that there was uh, the the room was filled with light, kitovhu, because he was good. And on the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu had a speech impediment, and he had all his other problems and his struggles. So you know, like I, I think you see again this this confluence once again of of. The, the greatness that he had naturally, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu did not do anything to deserve a, a room filled with light when he was born. And on the other hand, you know, again, he was, he was very much human. So to, to the extent which he was superhuman, to the extent which he was, you know, more part bat. Um, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that discussion of, of well, what, who was Moshe Rabbeinu and who, what we know him as. Uh, but anyway, I think that um, that takes us through at least many aspects of this very um, interesting and important topic about the, one, um, the, the greatest person of our, of our tradition and of history of the world. Um, but um, once again, I, I thank you guys for joining me on the Parsha panel. There, you know, there was a request for another Parsha panel. Okay, and there was uh, that's our new jingle. I like the signing out sound. That's it. Uh, but yeah, so um, once again, thank you, Rev. Daniel. Thank you, Mendy, so much for joining us here at Parsha Panel. Um, and uh, pleasure being here. My pleasure. More than that. <laughs> okay, and again, that takes us through. Thanks for joining us here at the database.